Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast. For this episode, I am joined by James McGann, the co-founder of Frankie Health. James is joining us from Portugal because he's attending Web Summit. So James, appreciate your time today uh, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And uh, yeah, waiting for Web Summit kickoff in a few hours and delighted to have this chat with you. So thanks for having me on. Excellent. Definitely jealous you're over in Portugal because if I was to reverse the camera, uh, uh, it's the complete opposite weather-wise, I reckon. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I, I want to dial the clock back to the, to the beginning of, of James. Um, you grew up in Dublin. What was life like growing up in Dublin? Any favorite stand-up memories? Any hobbies? Yeah, I suppose it was a fairly standard, like middle-class upbringing. Um, I was lucky enough to have two very supportive parents and, and two siblings, the youngest of three, and went to yeah mixed schools the whole way through. I probably might need a little bit more structure than some kids, and it was decided it was good for me to go into boarding school. Uh, um, at the start of secondary school so I went to to board um, for the first few years of secondary school and it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I was forced to you know just grow up quite quickly and become more you know, socially developed and probably independent so that was definitely a big input into into my journey and the other thing probably to call out is you know my parents are, are self-proclaimed uh, hippies back in the day so they would have been very free thinking and uh, very kind of open about talking about all sorts of topics around the dinner table no topic was off was off um off it was every topic was approachable and my mum was one of the first private psychotherapists in ireland in, in the 1990s she opened one of the wow. first private psychotherapy practices so mental health was something that you know we were aware of and was somewhat talked about she was great she never brought any of her work home and she was an incredible mom all the way through and still is but we were certainly gifted with some of that understanding before you know, most other people had ever heard of of things around mental health mm. and with the conversations at the dinner table that weren't as restricted as other households may have been um what did young james want to be when he grew up what were the what what was your aspirations to become or did you have a role or title that you'd like uh, I think at the start, I wanted to be a, a solicitor or a lawyer was, was something I, I, I liked the idea of because I liked, you know, representing some, a point of view or an opinion and trying to battle it. And I quite often like standing up for, you know, kids in the class that might, might, not, have had a, might not have had a voice. And so mm -hmm. that was something I wanted to do. I thought, and then I did work experience in fourth year, and it wasn't quite what I had imagined to be in, in my mind's eye. But that was something that stands out as an early idea. And, and mm. yeah, I suppose when I went on, yeah, I got older and realized that that concept wasn't what I had created the, the vision of. Work experience is great. I did, I wanted to be a hotel manager when I was younger, did six months in Radisson, figured out that's not what I wanted at all. Um, yeah. But what led you to study, uh, for anyone who's listening, you studied commerce in UCD and then stayed on to complete a master's in marketing in UCD. So where did the interest, if you mentioned lawyer and solicitor, where did the interest in studying commerce come from? And then also to that, what led you to stay on to do a master's in marketing? 
the honest answer is they didn't know what else to do. I love it. <laughs> it's, it's straight up. I didn't even study business in secondary school. I went to a school that had lots of um, different subject choices and, and I didn't choose business. And probably <laughs> I just had no idea what to do. And I knew I, I wanted to have the ability to travel. I knew I wanted to have lots of optionality when I was older. I was, yeah, I was interested in tech uh, as everyone kind of my age, I'm in my mid thirties now would have been, you know, because in college iPhones came out for the first time and it was obviously a, a big, new, exciting space, but going into college, I, I didn't know. And I knew commerce was a very well-respected undergrad. I wanted to go to UCD because of the sports. It was close to where I grew up. And so I didn't have to, you know, spend money on, I could stay at home. I lived at homes, so didn't have accommodation costs and yeah, I didn't know what else to do. And, and, and everyone said it was a good degree. So I went for it. And then while I was in commerce, I did quite well um, in, in the marketing area. I found it really interesting. I remember doing a couple of projects on um, new markets opening up on the back of this iPhone economy and found it really interesting in terms of the pricing strategy that I remember doing one on the iPhone again and their pricing strategy and did quite, did, didn't do unbelievably, did quite well. Um, anecdotally, I remember actually I was always the guy in the group projects that was doing the pitching, like would present the stuff at the end of the semester. And I loved that because I, I quite enjoyed it and it meant I didn't have to do a lot of the research in the project in the six months prior and everyone was happy with, with the trade. So that was probably an area of commerce that I was naturally drawn to in terms of, you know, communication. And I think marketing is part of that and also the marketing strategy and, on the back of that, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to go to Smurfit afterwards and continue down that path. Great college, great college. Um, I'd like to rewind the clock, although we have gone back, I'm, I'm bringing it forward, but slightly back to sure. where present day is. 2011, you spent three years as an SDR and then in 2014, sales development for rep, rep for anyone who doesn't know what that stands for. And then in 2014, you spent four years then as an AE, finishing up with with Web Summit, actually, sorry, as a senior AE. Um, so my question is, in all those roles, AE, account executive, are, are, are sales roles. So with your founder or co-founder hat on, what skills did you think you improved from spending seven years in sales? Perhaps like one or two that you weren't so great at when you originally started, but you improved as you went up through the ranks from SDR to AE, the scenery that has helped you in your role now as co-founder of Frankie Health? That's a great question. And there's so many little examples. So I don't have a structure to this. I'm just going to freestyle it. Please. One that certainly comes to mind is the importance of building relationships and how you never know where a relationship is going to lead. And obviously, I mean, in the kind of social slash work setting of a relationship. Um, and ultimately, a lot of sales is developing relationships with people, friendships, connections, topics that they want to talk to you about and you want to talk to them about. And those develop over time. And, and sometimes that turns into a great friendship. Uh, and sometimes it returns into a friendship with something business related to it as well. And sometimes it's an introduction to somebody for a job or an opportunity. And I think, yeah, the value of investing and being a good friend to as many people as possible and, you know, trying to support people in their journeys. If there's any, you know, needed a, a pillar of support, a shoulder to cry on or an introduction for somebody else to one of your connections. I feel that 
life generally works in this kind of social um, support of one another. And the wider you can build that net, the more value you can add to others and, and that they can support you on your journey. And I think for me, I was lucky enough to leave Smurfit and go to the States for a few years and work there and, and built a network up over there and of which I'm still connected to today. And, and then with Web Summit that you mentioned, I went to Asia Pacific, Hong Kong, and, and then Singapore and built up a network over there. And to anyone that was starting off coming out of college, I would say travel as much as you can and build up, yeah, friendships, but also your ability to connect with people from all different types of life and different you know, challenges that they might have grown up with. And yeah, investing in relationships is something that I think I didn't realize I was doing um, naturally when I look back, it was something that definitely helped me on those journeys, to different sales roles. And yeah, it definitely made me happier as well. Could not agree more with what you said there, both in your lessons from sales and then also the, the traveling in, in your youth. I've, I've had that question put in front of a couple of other people and the common answer is usually uh, with improving your bonding and rapport skills with people and really be able to uh, eliminate the fluff and the jargon that the other person doesn't give a shit about and then just get straight to the point of like, why would they want to listen or care? And then mm. instantly connecting from that. So similar to what you had just said, now you are the co-founder of Frankie Health, which was the reason I got an introduction to you to come on the podcast. So yeah. I could give a 30 second commercial of what the business is, but you'll do a much better job as you're the co-founder. So James, the mic is yours. Thank you. Frankie's all about empowering the future of employee mental health. And we focus a lot on identifying and preventing burnout in teams of all different sizes. 75% uh, of us have been affected by burnout in the last 18 months. Burnout can be defined as a combination of feeling stressed, overwhelmed, and dissatisfied. If someone's experiencing burnout, they're 2.6 times more likely to be looking for a new job. And the number pre-pandemic was 28% and post-pandemic it's 75%. So Jesus. it's been a massively ballooning problem. And it's no longer good enough for business owners just to tick the box of what support they offer their team's mental health because it affects the individual, the teams and the business outcomes. So that's what Frankie's all about. Yeah, there was a study done recently by Deloitte that said like pre-pandemic, 28% of people were thinking about leaving their job in the next year and then posted it, went like jumped to like over 55%. Um, mm. It's a crazy stat. Um, the question here is all around mental health, but why is the topic of mental health so important to you? Yeah, great question. So... I can't remember what role it was exactly, but in about 2013, I was working for a couple of startups in San Francisco. And within a couple of months, two and a half, three months, my entire world fell, world fell apart. Uh, the startups I was working with collapsed. I had no support structure around me over there in San Francisco. And I was in a very serious relationship at the time and that fell apart all around that same kind of confluence of, of bad events. And, you know, I previously thought I'd always be on that mentally healthy end of the, of the spectrum that is all of our wellness and mental health. It fell apart quite quickly. I didn't know what to do. I fell into a really dark spot. My anxiety was through the roof. And when I say anxiety, I mean your inner voice or your inner monologue, thinking about negative projections of the future. 
and I, mm. I, I couldn't stop that cycle and it was keeping me up at night my sleep went just it fell apart um and I was really hating the person that I was becoming at the time so that was back in 2013 and it hit me for six I had never experienced anything like that before I'd always been very confident very capable and very you know outgoing guy and, and this happened really quickly and it all yeah, I didn't know what to do thankfully because of my mom having a psychotherapy practice back in Ireland um she was able to introduce me to a therapist quite quickly um in about kind of three months or so after I eventually shared that I was really struggling and I was introduced to a therapist from from the therapy practice back in Ireland uh, so doing those calls via Skype originally and Northern California being what it was I was introduced to meditation by some friends over there as well and so within about it took 18 months from then I was able to kind of build myself back up to a more balanced version of myself and start to like myself again and you know it was in that journey I picked up and kept those tools to keep me sort of balanced on my journey and fast forward years later when I was in Hong Kong and Singapore working for startups and experiencing periods of, of really significant stress where other colleagues at the time were were taking rotational stress leave and, and all sorts of difficulties I was able to stay balanced and that was because I had had that really tough time in the years previous and kept those kind of tools. My relationship, my therapist was still there. It's still there today. Um, great, great guy. And my meditation practice was still there as well. So it was really very clear to me that burnout and anxiety and stress is almost like a social norm in a lot of businesses, specifically fast growth companies. And I then had just picked up the tools out of being really fortunate to have my mom's psychotherapy practice and, and met some nice people in San Francisco. They introduced me to meditation and I was able to then, you know, stay balanced through those difficult times in the years following. And yeah, that's really where it came from. Well, awesome of you to share that. I will leave links to both your LinkedIn if anyone wants to connect with you and also to the company website as well. There's, there's a number of blogs on it and, very very easy to navigate it's actually a really well produced website um thank you through my research for this podcast i noticed on your linkedin that you recently i say recently within the last couple of months shared that you were uh shared a post about hiring an ae and then through further kind of research i noticed from an article i believe it was on the Irish times that you were announced the plan to hire more people over the next 2021 and 2022 so the question is and I reference this a lot on, po on my podcasts from a study produced by the Harvard Business Review, the cost, the hidden cost of a bad hire can be five times the annual salary of the bad hire through hmm. missed opportunities, not just wages alone. So when it comes to hiring people, do you have a process in place? Um, and if so, what does that look like so that you can eliminate or reduce, not eliminate, reduce the potential uh of hiring a, of hiring someone that doesn't fit the opportunity or the role yeah yeah it's a great question so we're very fortunate that in our business it's very clear what our mission is you know it's super topical most people have experienced either directly or through a spouse what mental health is and how important it is and and in some ways it's a bit of self-selecting process that the people that want to work for us are generally people that are really bought into the mission. And we've been really fortunate that everyone that's joined the company, and we're about up to 16 now, everyone has had 
either a direct or through a spouse relationship with the broken supports that are off on offer for mental health. So everyone, it, it isn't written in the job description or a requirement, but it's just self-selecting. It's happened this way that everyone is, is really bought into the mission. And I think, you know, you can reference Simon Sinek or you can reference Steve Jobs and the list goes on how important it is to align your personal why with what you're trying to achieve through your work. And a lot of us have alignment there in terms of a, a drive that we have to solve this problem that's affected us and family members through the years. And that's a big part of what makes us unique and really strong as a team. My co-founder Seb is, is one of the most talented guys I've ever met in my life for so many reasons, engineering, design, strategy, but he's also so bought into the mission. He's, he's had a, he, he could sit with you for another 20 minutes and tell you his story as why he's so bought into the mission. And you know, so we have that as a team, as a co-founder team at the top and everyone else that's with us is equally bought in. So that's a big part of it. And another part I suppose would be, I believe in startup experience being very important. Um, I've, I've been in startups before where, you know, you, you fall into the trap of hiring someone because they come from a big, well-known brand. And people think that person's going to be a silver bullet because, oh, they work for, you know, fill in the Silicon Valley tech company. And the answer is that's never, never works. I've, I've really never seen it work. It has to be at our stage when there's less than 20 of you and you're, you're dealing with a lot of ambiguity and, and everyone has to come up with answers versus um, ask, just ask questions. It's people that know what that's like as a stage in a business is super, super important. Um, so those two factors, to be honest with you, are probably two of the more unique parts to that answer that maybe some of your other guests haven't said. Um, and obviously you follow the other standard stuff like, you know, do they have the technical capabilities set and, um, you know, are they, do they have references that, that work and, you know, all the standard stuff goes with that. But those two ones are, are bits that jump out at me when you ask that question. That is my favorite answer to that question that I've gotten this year and I've asked that to about 150 other entrepreneurs. Uh, you, you stumped me. I was going, oh yes, I was going to give a shout out to your co-founder Seb, who I'm correct is down under in, in Australia. Yeah. Um, four more questions left for you, James. Um, I can see from your website that you've got two target profiles. You've got the therapists on one side who you're trying to get on board to build a profile and, and to market their services and, take care of x y and z and you've got the businesses who are trying to get on board as well focusing on the latter of that so the businesses what are some of the things you're focused on over the next 12 to 18 months to achieve continued growth so that you can get to that 30 40 50 person company partnerships acquisitions prospecting to the net new accounts or perhaps even net new markets and i say this with finishing on a quote that i read on your linkedin uh, every pound spent Every pound a company spends on their employees' mental health delivers a five-pound return on investment. So talk to me about a, a brief overview of how you plan to grow over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, it's a great question because from the outside, it's very easy to say, oh, your total addressable market is infinite because everyone has employees and, and everyone should be investing in their employees' mental health. And that is true. But the reality is that there's only a portion of business owners and heads of HR that have actually evolved their way of thinking to truly understand how important mental health is to their business. So for us, it's about we actually don't want to work 
with companies of all kinds. We only want to work with companies that get it. And yeah, we educate and we put pieces out there and, and we'll help people go on that journey. But it, some majority of companies are still need a couple of years to catch up. Now, some of the big companies out of the States, um, you know, the, the large tech uh, houses, they get it. They spend a lot of money on mental health. Some of the like Series A, Series B funded startups, uh, they get it as well. They're more progressive thinking. There's a few of the larger, more traditional industry corps that understand it as well. And, and they've already reached out to us and we're already working with some of them. But in answer to your question, we're only interested in working with people that get why mental health is so important. We're not going to pull someone down the sales cycle um, just for the sake of getting the sale. So we actively look for people that are publishing on their LinkedIn, talking in conferences about how important mental health is, that are investing already in their team's mental health. Um, and quite often those businesses, they don't have a consolidated solution. It's a hodgepodge of different things. You know, they might have headspace for their team and they might have uh, someone coming in to talk about nutrition once every two months and they don't have a, a full platform like Frankie that offers all of the insights um, you know it's just not there in the market there's a couple of companies in the states that offer what we do and they only operate in the states there's no one doing it in, in Europe and Asia Pacific in the same way and so yeah we're very much interested in working with that certain segment of, of employer and, and heads of HR <clears throat> In terms of the markets that we're prioritizing, Ireland and the UK are our primary market along with Australia and New Zealand. Uh, we're going live in Singapore at the moment, and we are scoping a partnership with another therapy practice in Sweden and also in Germany. So we currently offer therapy in, in 10 different languages, and that's from a decentralized therapy community. So you asked about the two kind of sides of our product. We've got a side of the platform for practitioners, so mental health service providers, which they can use for their private clients as well. And it provides all of the tools needed to deliver a high quality video therapy service. And so we use that to essentially onboard therapists and there's no cost to that. And it allows us to identify great therapists that we then make available to our corporate customers. And following that decentralized model, we currently offer uh, therapy in 10 different languages. Uh, we're actually also currently adding on a community of coaches covering things like financial coaching, sleep coaching, uh, nutrition, lots of great stuff there, men's health, women's health as well, uh, new parents. So that's a big part of our business in the next six months is, is offering that coaching into the solutions and, and the suite of wellness support. And yeah, we've also started working with some channel partners so you know in a channel uh, conversation there's employee benefit providers that aggregate anonymize employee benefits for companies things like pension health dental and and wellness mental health specifically has become a big demand area so a couple of those in the uk and in our in ireland and in germany and a few other places have reached out to us and they want to package frankie in their in their solution um, there's a couple of insurers that were started conversation with conversations with as well, but they're going to take a long time. So that's kind of what the next six months is looking like for us. Great. You should connect. I'm just thinking you should connect with a guy called Christopher Shum from Kilkenny. One of the most intelligent guys in this space that I've ever had the pleasure of spending time with. Um, is there a, is, is there a tool out there yourself that you can't live without? And when I say tool, you could pick a CRM to manage the company or a communication tool like Slack or 
video editing tool, anything that pops into your head that you could not remove from your current tech stack? Do you mean as 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 a business and a team or as an individual and in non-work as, as a business and team? And Notion is something that we get a lot of value out of. And I know people have probably, probably heard that a million times already. Uh, honestly, Notion has it's been fantastic for us because we're obviously a fully remote company and we have people in France and in the UK and, and Australia and China. So yeah, Notion's been great for us. Um, it has as a kind of central kind of single source of truth. We also use this, this other platform in addition called ClickUp, which is quite good for kind of project management and an engineering task, product roadmap. Um, and then I'm sure you've heard this one as well. Figma is a tremendous design tool. If anyone out there is, is using anything else, I would say get onto Figma as quickly as you can. It's great for everything from doing actual product designs that you'll put into your platform, as well as doing investor decks um, and prototypes. Uh, sorry, just one more on the deck stuff. I know you said just yeah. one, but I find myself telling other founders these tips because they really helped us um, get away from using PowerPoint, use pitch.com. Um, it's just a much better uh, presentation quality. Yeah. Um, so sorry, Ryan, I didn't give you one. I gave no, you four, no, no, but I, I thought it might help some people. Absolutely. The more the merrier. I definitely agree with the getting away from PowerPoint. Um, I'll leave links to all those four company websites below in the description, whether you're listening or watching this. Two final questions for you, James. What is your personal definition of success? If I'm lucky enough to have a child, to be able to look them in their eyes and be proud of everything that I've done. Solid. That's a, that's a different answer than usual. Uh, I'm assuming you're wanting one at some stage in life. That is, the, that is the path I would love to go on if I'm lucky enough, yes. Awesome, awesome. Final question for you, and I put up a recent poll on my LinkedIn asking people this question. I said, I've asked 150 guests this year if they could add, if they were the decision maker in adding a mandatory subject to the secondary school curriculum, what would it be and why? And the same question for you, what subject would you add and why? So easy, mental health. <laughs> It's just such a gap. That was going to be an answer, it's, yeah. It's, it blows my mind that kids aren't taught about mental health. Honestly, if I think back of my school years, primary and secondary school, the amount of heartache, tears, hardship, like just it all could have been solved by just trying to educate kids about their mental health and their peers' mental health. And it probably would have just empowered people so much more in their journey and I'm willing to go and give free classes to kids at any stage around mental health awareness. And yeah, it's super important, I think. Amazing. Well, your contact details will be in the description box below, James. For now, it's been an absolute pleasure Pleasure spending the last 30 minutes with you. <laughs> I know you're in uh, Lisbon for Web Summit and you're actually speaking on stage of a credit the center stage at some stage yeah. later this week. So best of luck with that. But for now, thanks for being my guest and continued success. Thank you so much. It's been great chatting to you and thanks for putting such a great podcast together.